Well, we are going to continue on, as Norm said, in our series in Exodus. And uh, if you've got a device with you, you've got your Bible with you, uh, in some way, shape, or form, I'll invite you to find your way to Exodus chapter 7. Just find your way there, put your thumb in that, on that page. I would assume that the, most of you here today, in one way, shape, or form, one time or another, that you've received a letter via Canada Post, you've gotten a package via UPS or FedEx, uh, maybe it was a bill to pay. Uh, not always, you know, <laughs> don't always like getting those in the mail. Maybe it was the latest book that you bought on Amazon. Uh, maybe it was a gift arriving from a faraway relative. Uh, what all those experiences actually have in common together is that all of those items were delivered. Whether they were delivered by a mail carrier, a delivery person, or in the future, some sort of flying drone, (laughs) Uh, someone had to take what you needed and bring it from where it was in a warehouse, a shop, a stockroom shelf, to where it needed to be, your home, the delivery spot. And when that transaction was completed... What did the email confirmation say when you're tracking your package? It says something like, Sir, Madam, your package has been successfully delivered. (laughs) Right? Hey, you're with me. (laughs) In fact, the one point of today's message is, as our deliverer, the Lord is always, always working to get us from where we are to where we need to be. That's the point today. The Lord works to get us from where we are today to where we need to be. And as we focus back again on Exodus today, I want us to see God from a very specific perspective. That's why I entitled this message today, God, the God who delivers. At the outset, I want to remind us that through Jesus' death and his resurrection, as we celebrated communion today, that God made a way for us to be delivered. Saved, set free. God knew, God knew where we were. <laughs> he knew that we were lost. He knew that we were in darkness. He knew that we were in our own sin, our guilt and shame. And he provided his son to deliver us out of darkness and to bring us into his kingdom and freedom. Our heavenly father is a deliverer. He knows how to miraculously take us from where we are and to get us to the place that we need to be. It's waiting. It's a gift. It's there for anyone who wants it. A, a gift that needs to actually be opened in faith and received into your life. It's there for you. Even before Jesus came to earth as a baby and grew and started his earthly ministry, the Lord had actually been working in history to deliver an entire group an entire nation, a people that were set apart by God and were birthed as a nation in a way called Israel as they were made their way out of slavery in Egypt to freedom. And last week, Norm shared about Moses and his encounter with God at the burning bush, holy ground, where Moses was called to be God's messenger and he was going to be used by God to speak to Pharaoh, and he was going to be used as a servant of the Lord to actually see the Jewish people delivered from Pharaoh's control. You know, perhaps you see it now, 
what I, my main point is that even with the story that Norm shared last week, God knew how to get Moses from where he was to where he needed to be. Like Jesus, God would use Moses as a preview, a foreshadowing of his future intentions. Not just delivering a nation from slavery, but his desire to actually deliver the entire human race from its slavery to sin. And today, I want to draw our attention to two accounts that we find in the book of Exodus. In one sense, I get the, the super fun stories today. The one is the very first Passover the Jewish people ever shared together. And the second was their exit from Egypt, their escape through the Red Sea. But first, we actually need to catch up on how things went for Moses after the burning bush, when he and his brother Aaron spent time before Pharaoh asking for Israel's release. And that's where we pick up in Exodus chapter 7 and verse 2. How many of us, how many of you like it when someone shares a movie spoiler with you? Just right before you go and see the movie. Right? Nah, right? (laughs) Well, in one sense, in the verses that we're about to read, the Lord told Moses the plot line of how things were going to go with Pharaoh before he even got to Egypt. So let's read together. Exodus 7, 2, starting in verse 2 to 5. To Moses, the Lord speaking, You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people from Israel from among them. God told Moses the story already. (laughs) If I was Moses, I'm not sure whether I would have been glad God told me this. Or relieved that he told me, so that I knew what to expect when I got to Egypt. In our own lives, sometimes God lets us know what's actually ahead. Uh, Sometimes he doesn't. But when he does, it's often because we need to actually be prepared. And we actually need to know that no matter what happens, God will be with us and he will accomplish what he's said. That word that was given this morning about the arrows by Andrea. The Lord speaking, he's preparing some of you here in a bow to be shot out. That's preparation for you. That's the Lord actually sharing some of the plot line of your life with you so you can be prepared. But God was telling Moses that no matter what happens, I will deliver my people. I will And it's his promise to you here today as well. So Moses obeys the Lord and he has many encounters with Pharaoh. Uh, We won't touch on them all today. But no matter how well the diplomacy, the politics seemed to be going, Pharaoh would always change his mind. In fact, the Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. There's a number of passages we find in Exodus. But each time this happened, the Lord worked through Moses 
to actually declare judgment on Egypt. And the consequences for going against God's word, against what God's message was, were ten plagues. Let me remind you what they are. They'll come up on the screen. So the Nile, it turns to blood. All the fish died, nasty and stinky. Uh, Frogs covered everything and got into everything. You couldn't walk without stepping on one. Ew, right? Uh, There were swarms of gnats and flies. That would have driven me mad. Uh, And next, all of the Egyptians' livestock died, and the Jews' livestock was spared. Hail, next, came down with such ferocity that it destroyed all the crops and killed anyone who was left outside, including livestock, except for where the Jews lived. Then there were the locusts, so many that it says the skies were actually darkened and they ate every last green thing that was left over after the hail damage. But again, the Jews, untouched where they lived. And then there was darkness, a darkness that was so thick it covered the land, it says, for three days. And people couldn't even leave their houses. They like, couldn't see in front, of, in front of their face. It was so dark. But the Jews, it says, it was light where they were. Pharaoh kept hardening his heart. After all of this, after up to these nine different plagues, he even threatened to kill Moses if he came back into his presence to talk with him again. I mean, you'd think Pharaoh would have, would have gotten the point by now. You know? But it all just made him more furious. In fact, the first time Moses comes to see him, he goes, oh, they need to leave? They need to go and worship? Well, actually, if they've got so much time on their hands, they can make all the bricks that they were making now without any straw. Or they need to go and get the straw themselves. And so their workload doubled and tripled onto them. It got worse for them. You thought he would have, maybe after, maybe after even his own magicians ran out of being able to do uh, miracles or reproduce what Moses was doing, they ran out of themselves after the gnats. They were able to reproduce the stuff that happened before that, but after the gnats, they told Pharaoh, this, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh still hardened his heart. The last plague was the worst because it actually struck so close to home and dealt this punishing blow to Pharaoh's hard heart and the Egyptian people. God promised Moses that this would be the last plague. But Moses would actually need to get the people ready to leave Egypt quickly after it happened. I'm going to read Exodus 11, 4-7. So Moses said to the people, Thus says the Lord, about midnight, actually he says to Pharaoh, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. Very valuable. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor will ever be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel.
I want to say a brief word about Pharaoh's hard heart. Because sometimes we go, oh, that wicked Pharaoh, dot, 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 you know, whatever. We need to remember that even though he was being used by the Lord in his plans and purposes, he was a human being like any one of us who's a part of the story that God is actually writing in his history to glorify himself. Pharaoh's rebellion and his sinfulness actually parallels the same thing of the rest of humanity. This is important because it illustrates something central to this Exodus story. Like you and I, we too, we can harden ourselves. We can harden our hearts towards God and what he's said. Even when he's in the process of trying to deliver us. Paul, actually in the book of Romans, he highlights a part of the mystery of God's sovereignty over all things when he says in Romans 9, 17 and 18. It says, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, so this is the word of God speaking to Pharaoh, the the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that that I, the Lord, might show my power in you and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he, the Lord, has mercy on whomever he wills and hardens whomever he wills. It's a bit of a sobering passage. See, hardening in the New Testament for Paul is the encounter of a human being with the word of God in judgment. It's when we know what God has said but we deliberately choose not to obey and not to yield to what he said. As each moment passes, we harden ourselves further against God himself. In fact, he allows a hardening to happen in us. And we need to understand also that God is merciful and compassionate too. And in the verse that we just read, we can actually see both mercy and hardening. And the process actually rests in God's hand alone as he actually judges the posture of your and my hearts. We see both mercy and judgment expressed and actually bound in this same Exodus story we're reading today. The word of judgment on Pharaoh turns out to actually at the same time to be part of God's mercy on Israel after hearing their cries. Just like Dave Perry preached a couple of weeks ago about the God who hears our cry. The hardening actually helped to bring about the exodus from Egypt. See, it's God's power as creator making his name known in all the earth. God's saving purpose, God as deliverer, actually sees past Egypt and Pharaoh all the way to the cross. All the way to the cross. That that plan was already present in the act of judgment and mercy that he used to create the very nation of Israel and set them free. It was already in God's heart. He saw the cross. And it should give us pause 
when we know that we're resisting God in our own lives, the good news is, the fantastic news is, is that when we turn our heart towards the Lord, when we turn from our hardness and our rebellion against him, and we repent, we say, Lord, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Would you help me to turn the other way and to follow after you? When we do that and we humble ourselves, he is gracious and merciful to forgive us and to cleanse us of any and all unrighteousness, like it says in 1 John 1.9. Maybe that's you today. Do you want God's mercy? Or do you want his judgment or that sense of him allowing your heart to get harder in your life? Invite him to work. Watch out for a hard heart. I don't know if you noticed, but I actually slipped in my main point. Maybe you didn't quite recognize it, but can you see how the Lord is your deliverer as you turn to him in repentance? Whether it's for the first time or whether it's for the thousandth time, he will apply grace over your life as you humble yourself before him, and he will continue the work of taking you from where you are today to where he wants and knows you need to be. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord. But now we actually come back to the part of the story where the Lord, or like it says in some places, where the angel of death passes by every house in Egypt around midnight. Wailing and crying could be heard everywhere as the firstborn of each household, including pharaohs, would lose their life as a consequence of Pharaoh's refusal to let God's chosen people go. I can't imagine what that would be like. What would that be like? I mean, even think of in summertime. If, if that was to happen to everyone on your street or everyone in your apartment block all at once, Wow, sobering. Amidst this moment of judgment and grief, Moses had actually prepared the Jewish people to get ready for that fateful night. He commanded each household to kill, to prepare, and to roast a year-old male lamb without any imperfections, just as the sun was setting that evening, and to prepare to eat it with their family and whoever was with them. Uh, they were supposed to eat it with unleavened bread, meaning bread that just didn't have any yeast in it, and bitter herbs. And for protection, they were to take some of that lamb's blood and they were to brush it on the doorposts and the lintel of their household, of the front door. And Moses commanded that they should actually eat the feast dressed and actually ready to move and travel. Cloak on, hat on, belt-tightened, sandals ready, staff in hand, it says. And then the angel of the Lord moved through the land, visiting each home. And then it would see the blood on each of the doorposts as a sign, and it would pass by. The firstborn in that home would live. That was called the Lord's Passover. Passover. 
the angel passed over their home. And this was the very first time this meal was eaten. And the Lord commanded and instituted that the people would eat it again and again and again on the seventh day of each week as a reminder to them that their God was their God and deliverer, the one who led them out of Egypt. And observant Jews still eat the Passover meal today on their Sabbath, on Saturdays. And it is chock full of meaning when you take a look at that meal and Christ and you put those two things together. When this occurred, Pharaoh finally yielded and let the people of Israel go. The Egyptians even gave the Jewish people gold and silver and their jewels uh, as, as the people were leaving. You know, basically, it was the fear of the Lord, the fear of God, the God who was with Israel gripped the people, and they wanted them out of Egypt. <laughs> right? So they're like, yes, please, we'll give this to you. Oh, yeah, please, yes, bye. You know, we're going to give this to you. No more plagues, no more death. Right? But we need to understand that the story was, again, a foreshadowing of things to come. The deliverer was at work. Jesus Christ is called the firstborn son of God. And in our human state of sinfulness, there was no way for us to be in relationship with God as a people. The sacrifices that Israel would later regularly have at their temple as they would sacrifice lambs and oxen and different things over and over again. It never actually dealt with the sin. It only just covered it over. The curse of death and separation from God still hung over humanity. But God himself provided his family a lamb. He provided us a way of escape from slavery. As Jesus the pure, spotless lamb was killed at Calvary as his blood spilled on the ground during the same hour as the Passover lambs were being killed in Jerusalem. His blood, which actually covered the posts and the cross that he hung on, and his self-sacrifice was the final payment for our sin that canceled the, sin, the sentence of death over your household and over mine. He's the door. He's the door that we enter through. He's the one as we enter in, death has lost its sting. We're passed over. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus to be saved can enter his family, his home. And his blood that has been talked about this morning is this sign of his payment for our sin. Death can pass us by as we can live forever because of what Jesus did on our behalf. Jesus, the Son of God, actually took our place and died as the firstborn so that he might have preeminence in all things, Scripture said, so that we could live and we could be free. Is there an amen in there somewhere? God, our deliverer, was at work. The Passover meal doesn't simply 
doesn't end just simply with protection and death passing us by. When Jesus rose from the grave on that Easter morning, he actually defeated the power of sin and death. The curse of sin that was hanging over humanity was actually dealt a crushing blow and defeat. The Lord himself purchased our freedom from slavery and to sin, and he delivered us. He delivered us to become part of his family and to eat at his table forever. That Passover meal, Jesus ate that Passover meal with his disciples on his way to the cross. And the meal that we just shared together at these tables was him saying, I'm doing something new. You know the blood you put on the doorposts and the angel of death passed by? This meal that you've been eating for centuries that reminds you of God, your deliverer. It's me, Jesus said. It's my blood. It's my body broken for you. I'm instituting a new supper, a new meal that you can have as you gather together. But wait. It's not... It's not all the story from Exodus. There's one more giant miracle and sign of the Lord that God wanted to use to display his lordship over all things and Israel as his chosen people. The Jewish people come out of Egypt, led by God himself, followed by a pillar of of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And where it went, they followed. And they followed until they reached the Red Sea, and an area where they were either forced to cross the sea or they had to turn back and go the way that they had come from. And meanwhile, back in Egypt, after some of the cloud of grief had lifted from Pharaoh, he realized that his entire force of slave labor was now gone and they were not coming back. And again, God said to Moses, Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, uh, this is in Exodus 14, Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Basically, they're lost. They don't know where they're going. And I, the Lord says, will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. The people in the distance, they see this dust cloud of Pharaoh's army in the distance pursuing them. And they begin to panic. They start grumbling. They say, what, you brought us out here all the way into the, into the desert, into the wilderness just to die or go back to our captors? The Mo- Moses calmed the people. And further in Exodus 14, it says, starting in verse 13, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. Just watch what God's going to do. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to move forward, to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. And the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And Moses and the people obeyed the Lord. What would you have done if God had told you to do that? 
The pillar of cloud moved around them and behind them, between them and Pharaoh's army as their rear guard. Moses stretches out his arm and his staff over the seas, and they miraculously parted. And the people walked through the parted waters on dry ground to the other side. I mean, God speaks so matter-of-factly to Moses. It's like this is just a normal thing to do. You know, Moses, what are you crying to me for? Just lift up your staff and part the waters. (laughs) It's just so matter-of-fact, this normal thing to do. But for God it was. It was a normal thing. He was their deliverer. He had promised to save them from the Egyptians. That was his word to them. In fact, God utterly humiliated the Egyptian people who had kept them in slavery. Not only had they given all their valuables away to Israel as they walked out the door, but Pharaoh arrogantly pursued the people who had already crossed to safety on the other side of the Red Sea And as the Egyptian army went through the Red Sea, the waters came back and crushed down across them, drowning them all. Everyone knew that day, Egyptians and Jews alike, this is the God of heaven. This is the God of the Jewish people. Can you imagine being an Israelite on the other side of the Dead Sea Sobering, isn't it? God has delivered us. As a side note, if I can link this humiliation as a parallel and parallel it with Christ's death and resurrection on Resurrection Day, our enemy, the devil, who held us in slavery and in bondage, was utterly defeated. Colossians 2, verse 13 to 15. It won't come up on the screen. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Then he set aside, that he set this aside, nailing it to the cross. It was dealt with there. And this is the part I love. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, the devil and his minions. And he put them, it says, to open shame. He absolutely humiliated the enemy by triumphing over them in the cross of Christ. Can you see how these stories fit together? But I want to come back to this phrase that they walked across on dry ground because it's found elsewhere in Scripture. We find it actually in the story of creation itself. And we actually see that the Lord, our Creator, He's done this kind of thing before. In Genesis 1, 9 and 10 it says, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. And let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. He'd done this before. Once again, after sovereignly creating the earth, 
He was showing his dominion over all things. He's doing it again by showing the power of God to Israel that he is the God of heaven, that he is their deliverer by rebuking the Red Sea and commanding it to part through Moses. The Lord did this for Joshua too. As the people of Israel, they finally crossed the Jordan River the Jordan River, into their inheritance, the promised land. They walk across dry ground again, it says, as the Lord pushes and he holds back the waters of the Jordan River. And this is important. Why? Because the Lord, God, who delivered them from slavery in Egypt, has now faithfully delivered them into the land that he had promised to them. God had taken them from where they were, and brought them to the place that they needed to be. Their deliverer. Where are you today? Where do you need to be? Are you following Jesus with your whole heart? Are you trusting him, not only with your very salvation, but also the precious life that he's given to you? Do you believe that God can actually take you from where you are today, and he can actually deliver you to where you need to be. He can. And he's promised that he will do so. He will deliver anyone who follows after his son Jesus. In our sinful state, we have no way of crossing the gap, of crossing the sea, the chasm that exists between us and the Lord on our own. And like Israel standing on the corner of the Red Sea with no way out, We need a savior. We need a deliverer. We can't get across on our own. But just like God made a way across the Red Sea for Israel, God has made a way for all of humanity to cross over the divide that sin created and to reconnect with the Lord God of heaven through his son, Jesus Christ. Like I showed you earlier, Jesus is the answer the one who made a way for us out of slavery and into freedom. He's our deliverer, whatever the issue is. You know, perhaps I can illustrate this for you with one more picture that integrates Christ into our Exodus story. Does that help? This was always in the heart of God before creation ever began. It might get worse before it gets better. Just as a caution to you. But he does promise, Jesus does promise to always make a way for you. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And he's promised that he will never leave you and he will never let you go. He's promised. So what are you dealing with today where you need the deliverer? He's here waiting for you in whatever state you might find yourself and he's ready to take you on the journey across to the other side. Maybe you need to confess a hard heart in an area of your life. But I know that as you humbly trust him, whether that's again or whether that's for the very first time today, he will receive you. He will hear your cry. And he will continue 
graciously working to bring you from where you are today to where he wants and knows you need to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just as much as we see you in the Old Testament as this God of judgment and wrath, you also described yourself as merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Lord, this morning as we ponder these connections of things of old with things that your son Jesus did and us here today 2,000 years later, Lord, would you help us to see the story that you have been weaving for thousands of years, bringing your people out of slavery and into freedom, out of darkness and into light, out of death and into life everlasting. Lord Jesus, by your spirit, I invite you to speak to each person here today, wherever it is that they need you, Lord, would you fill them with the capacity to turn towards you, to cry out to you, even if it's for the hundredth time and they don't feel like you've heard. Lord, you have heard from on high and you have promised to come and to meet us where we are and to take us and move us to where we need to be. You are our deliverer. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to receive your love into our life. Help us to walk in your presence with purpose and with joy. Lord, we receive your word to us this morning and ask that it would bear fruit in us.